Here's Your Red Flag is intended for mature audiences only. Please listen with care. Lisa and I created this podcast with the goal of enlightening each other and our listeners in prevailing over narcissistic and toxic people and relationships. Our mission with this podcast is to help survivors of toxic relationships recognize red flags and areas of personal growth while equipping them with strategies for ultimate and lasting mental health across all relationships. This is a podcast of self-discovery. We'll be talking about personal freedom, safety, security, and strength while embracing our inner voice, recognizing and honoring our gut instinct, accepting imperfection, showing grace to ourselves, and starting anew. Many of our episodes will include topics such as psychological, emotional, and physical abuse, and detailed narcissistic and toxic behaviors. Our podcast is for educational and self-improvement purposes only and should not be viewed as a replacement for therapy. We are not professional therapists. If you are in need of professional help, please contact the appropriate authorities and see our show notes for helpful suggestions. Some names and identities have been changed for anonymity purposes. The opinions expressed by the guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent Lisa's or my views. You can find additional information about this podcast in the show notes, as well as on our website, heresyourredflag.com. And we are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. See our show notes for the links. If you have a red flag story you'd like to share for an upcoming episode, we would love to hear from you. You can reach us by email at heresyourredflag at gmail.com or private message us through Here's Your Red Flag Facebook or Instagram pages. Thanks, y'all. I flew up to the mirror Well, there was nothing that I seen You were Hello to our wonderful audience. Welcome back to Here's Your Red Flag. Hi, Lisa. Hey, Tony. So what do we have in store for our audience today? Today, we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Anne Christine Vitzkyle, and she is the author of the book Freeing Rapunzel. This is her first book, and it's a memoir of her life. Anne was born just five years after the Berlin Wall was erected. Her parents raised her in the national socialistic tradition where discipline and obedience are key and women are submissive to men. The poisonous atmosphere at home urged her into a fantasy world. As she grew older, Anne began to see glimmers into the truth of the past, and as she learned more about World War II, she saw hints of her father's involvement in it and gained insight of the war's consequences in her environment. The situation at home became more unbearable as Anne matured. She learned that to be whole, she had to escape, and after almost giving up on herself, she chose to free herself, even though that meant stepping into the unknown. This book reveals the consequences of family secrets on each family member. It becomes clear that by hiding past experiences and trauma can be transferred to the next generation. But the story also explores the deeper issues women of all ages and cultures face, affirming their self-worth, purpose, and becoming resilient. Born in Germany, Anne-Christine Witzkall grew up in West Berlin and worked in Paris, Munich, and Berlin before moving with her husband to Santa Monica over 15 years ago. 
She's been passionately invested in supporting others to harness their full potential for over a decade as an educator, a writer, and a businesswoman. She's the co-founder of Los Angeles's Guta International Charter School, work that led to her seamless transition into life coaching. She is a credentialed life coach with the International Coach Federation and is also a board-certified coach and holds a master's degree in journalism with minors in sociology and psychology. She sees her role as that of a guiding light, helping people discover their purpose, act on their dreams, and live their best lives. And Christine has two young adult children, and outside of coaching and teaching, can be regularly found on the tennis court, writing or reading, and hanging out with her two rescue dogs. Freeing Rapunzel is Anne's first book. Her memoir is about how she escaped the shadows of her family's Nazi past during the Cold War era in West Berlin, Germany. Hi, Anne. Welcome to Here's Your Red Flag. We are so pleased that you could join us all today. Hello, Tony. Thank you so much for having me. We just cannot wait to have you share the information in your book, but also how you have moved on and prevailed and you are moving forward and you're a great example of that. Your memoir is very powerful and thought-provoking. You and your two older sisters truly endured so much trauma growing up in your home in Germany. After reading it, I felt hopeful for you and for others who endure abuse, that there is a way out of those situations. And I look forward to hearing you talk about affirming self-worth, purpose, and becoming resilient. Mm. First, I want to ask you, what prompted you to want to write this book, your memoir? Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you again, Tony and Lisa, for giving me the opportunity to talk about this book. So yeah, what made me write this book was when I met my sister, and we hadn't talked for, I think, six years after my mother had died, or five years. And I visited her at her house, and she showed me two medals of my father. And she had done some research about my father, what he did during the Second World War. And what she revealed to me, I found so interesting that I thought I had to write this book. And also the time in the United States, it was in 2017, I guess, was there was a tension here in the U.S. And I thought that I also wanted to write this book to, because I support democracies. And I thought my story is kind of helping people to, yeah, to support democracies. In your book, Anne-Christine, you detail several instances of abuse at the hands of your father. Would you mind talking a little bit about your younger years growing up in a home with him? Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I was born, my father was already 51 years old. So it's half of a century, right? And he could have been my grandfather. And I remember that he was most of the time absent because he was working so much. Um, he, wa he was a doctor. And so I only saw him as a child in the evenings, but briefly. And then I had to go to bed. And so, and when I saw him, I always felt this distance to him. And he was very authoritarian. And so, for example, what he didn't like was that we lied. So honesty is, was a big value. And I, I mean, that is a great value still. But when he caught us lying, then there were big consequences. 
And so in my book, I describe one scene when something happened uh, with a washing machine. So some minor thing, I would say today, right? Something of a uh, uh, pullover, my mother's pullover was shrinked and it was pink. It was white and then it turned into pink. <laughs> and so my father was suspicious and uh, thought that one of us had done this, put something in the washing machine, right? I think I was four or five years old the time. So he had to stand in front of him and he asked every one of us who had done this and no one said something because we didn't know. And then so because and he got a little bit um, impatient with us and then he asked um, everyone of us to whisper it in his ear who it was. And this is kind of a method I think he learned during the war, how you interrogate people and what it did was that I mistrusted my sisters because I didn't know if they would say my name out of fear that something could happen to them. And what I was also, what was really awful was then the oldest sister, I call her Gerda in my book, that she then got beaten up because it didn't, no one was. He thought then he, he just chose one of us. And then I also describe, and that was really horrible and traumatic when I stole a chocolate egg from the bakery. And unfortunately, my sister, and this was with my neighbor, my friend, I did this together with him in this in the bakery store. And he told my sisters about what I did, that I stole this chocolate egg. And my sisters told my parents what had happened. And so I had to, I was sighted into my parents' bedroom. And my, my father was there standing at the window and I had to, to tell him what I did and he said in my face and that made me still nervous today he said in my face so I will beat you up and then you have to go to your room and you have to for a week you have to stay in your room you get only bread and water and yeah and then he beat me up and then I had to be in my room for seven days could go to school yes and then but in the afternoons in the evenings I was always alone and then I also had to go to the pastor or to the church and, and, and tell the pastor what I did and bring the money back to the bakery. And so, so it was a massive consequence. And yeah, so those kind of things. And yeah, really, I didn't trust him and I felt very uncomfortable in his presence, I would say. You know, so these are some examples. Yeah. So very early on, you had just fear and mistrust and okay. yeah um, yeah there was also this code so because mm -hmm. uh, my parents this was, was my parents generation and then my parents view that children so babies were um, by screaming and, and and asking for something right screaming or expressing themselves and so we were oh i was just um they put me in one room as a baby and then at night they they didn't they, they were in another room or another even in another on another floor and they couldn't hear me cry and so yeah so that was the point their point of view that this was correct and I think it was came maybe from preparing children for war or, or so becoming really strong and resilient something like that I think that was their point of view I don't know but for me, um, so that was kind of very traumatic, I would mm -hmm. say, very traumatic experience as a, as a baby already. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
Did that translate then into your later years, you know, later childhood, teen and adult years, not being able to express your needs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I couldn't, I always cared for all all my family, all the family members, I, I cared for them, but they get, couldn't see, they didn't see me. They were kind of absent Mm-hmm. and um, absent in their minds because they were also so um, involved in their own past, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that's why why they acted like they did. And yeah, I felt very lonely. I always felt very lonely. Um, and I, I describe this also in my book that I was, we had three floors in our house and I was on the third floor and I was the only one on the third floor. And Everyone else was on the second floor. And so I was kind of isolated. Mm-hmm. And I was also isolated because my parents and my sisters, because my sister's twins are were, are two years older than me. So they went on vacation and I was just, I had to go to a friend's house. And I was always too young uh, to to go with them. Mm-hmm. So that was also kind of an isolation from the family mm-hmm. and not being part of that. So, yeah, that was very sad. And, and you know, it's so funny because the other day I thought I had a lot of stuffed animals and I always put these stuffed animals in my bed. And I think I put them in the, my bed because I cared so much for them. I knew how it felt to be on this shelf and to be lonely at night in the, on this shelf. And that's why I put them in my bed. Mm-hmm. And my mother came and said, oh, she didn't understand, right? It was so many, so many, so many animals. So I had, I, I was tied in this, in this bed and my mother didn't understand. I had to put them back in my shelf, on my shelf. And when she left the room, I just took them back in my bed. So, yeah, but I think that's why, why I, I cared for them. I, I just could understand at that age. How it felt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of isolation and sounds a lot like an only child type situation. I can really resonate with you not feeling included or not even feeling, not even being included, you know, mm-hmm. in things and the, the pain that that is. And uh, something that you said was really interesting. I kind of wrote down. And I missed your wording, which was so great. But basically, you alluded to the fact that everyone in your family system was fighting to survive, you know, fighting their own battle to survive. And so mm-hmm. in living in an abusive or, yeah, abusive home, I can see that everyone is just, oh, it's so, you know, sad. And so no one sees anyone else because everyone is living their own trauma. And trying mm-hmm. trying to survive that, mm-hmm. yeah. And as as children, you see that you have. Uh, so I saw that I had kind of to care for my mother, for example, because mm-hmm. my my mother was so much abused by my father. I think she was also beaten by him sometimes, and we listened to that as children. As it happened most of the time these fights uh, at night and we listened to them and so I got very empathetic with my mother because I, I saw how much she suffered and and it was so interesting so normally it should be the other way around mm-hmm. so that your mother cares for you mm-hmm. but I 
took care of my mother in a way, yeah, feeling that the need to help her, right? And and I I wanted to help her, but she yeah, she refused to take she refused she she belittled me by that when she when she felt that I wanted to help her. But on the other hand I got these messages from her. And that that is so it's kind of weird. Yeah. And you know, I also thought we when we were we are we are born, or I but I think also my generation, also my sisters, and my, my parents too, my parents' generation. We are born or we were born and we're not held. We're not held. Mm-hmm. Right? We were not held. But so we have we learned to hold us ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that makes us very tense. And once we learn to let go, so that it's today I I know that I am okay. Right? That I am I have um I am I'm here for a reason. Everyone is here for a reason. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that I can let go. But the love was not there at the beginning. And and so important that love is there from the beginning, from both parents. And but it doesn't happen very often, I would say. The love and care, maybe today it's better, but if parents are absent so much, uh, uh, what you said earlier, um, fight their own fight, kind of, mm-hmm. then it's difficult, right? And, and children kind of feel that. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was it in your father's past that caused him to be the way he was? Mm. Yeah, so he was born in 1915, and that was in the First World War. And his father died when he was three years old in the First World War. And that was a big wound for him because my, my grandmother, she, she, she was just devastated. And she didn't get the, no one got the care, right? All, the, all these widows, they didn't get the care they needed. And so um, she was traumatized. My father was kind of traumatized. And then, um, so his uncle, he raised, he was raised by his uncle, but this had, the uncle died too, very young. And so he lost two men, very important men for him. He lost in his early years and he was raised only by women. And I read this in his diary. He had a, a diary, um, kept a diary in his, in, during war times, but only for two weeks. The beginning of the war and he wrote that he wanted to revenge he was he wanted to participate in the second world war because he wanted to revenge for his father who was shot by belgians or french people i don't know and so there was this deep wound i guess and although he became a doctor and uh, yeah and the the interesting part was also so he was raised by two women, or always cared. The, the women cared for him, but and then he took um, also the responsibility for these women, and he kind of suffered from that too, from this responsibility. And later, then he got three, three, three girls. <laughs> so he was surrounded only by women. So that that is so ironic. Yeah. And he 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 felt felt victimized. Yeah, he said, "Yeah, I'm always the only man here, right?" 
And that is also something that I should have been a, bo a boy, the heir, so to say, of the family. And I wasn't. And I think that was a big disappointment for my father too. Yeah. Yeah. You found, you found something in, in writing that they had written that they were disappointed that you were not a boy. And I think they received some sympathy cards from people. Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 Because my twin, my twin, my sisters who were twins, they were already a sensation kind of, right? They were, was not so often like it is today that people had twins. And so that was kind of special, right? And then he needed an heir an and then you know, I was not, yeah. And I think it was then also knowing for my mother that my father was disappointed. And then I think that was also a bit pretty hard for her. And then for me. I'm sorry, but sounds like a, a very cruel human being. And obviously therapy and things like that weren't around back then, especially at that time in Germany. <laughs> But but he was a doctor. I mean, uh, he had yeah. the resources. That's but true. um, but when we it was the other thing when we were kind of emotional, then always when we got angry or something that was not right, that was not allowed, and then he always said, "Oh, you you have mental problems, right? So do you have to see a psychologist?" So so psychologist meant or therapist meant you are mentally ill, right? And, uh, yeah, so that's very typical of abusers. There's a, in our er first season in the early episodes, I talked a lot about this book by a man named Lundy Bancroft who writes about abusive men. And that's one of the things he says in his book that abusive men are perfectly fine with anger and rage and abuse as long as it's their anger and rage. They are not okay with anyone else's anger or rage. So, yeah, that just reminded me of that. And, you know, my mother told me that when I was born, I had red, she says red hair. I think it was probably strawberry blonde. But she she let me know that my dad was disappointed that I had uh, red hair and that I was a, a girl. So, See? yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Okay, fine. So he's disappointed, but how do you ever tell your child that? You know, <laughs> just let it yeah, let it yeah. be your own secret. I don't know. And the thing that's the kicker for me is my second husband, who was abusive, also has three daughters and two sisters. You know, it's like God is saying to these men, you know, I don't know what God is saying, but I just think it's interesting that your father, you know, three daughters. And uh, my father had only one child, a daughter. And yeah, yeah, I just, that it's coincidental or I don't know what the message uh -huh. is there, but uh -huh. that's, it's really something. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's the men, you know, the sperm that dictate the gender. Yeah. And so yeah. for men yeah. to be upset, it's like, it's your fault, you dodo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the interest is what makes me so still laugh but but laughing because I don't understand my father a doctor mm -hmm. always made my mother responsible for getting only girls mm -hmm. he said it was something with her uh, fluids right in the vagina kind of fluid yeah <gasps> so I yeah. thought well, oh 
Mm-hmm. And, and at the time, I didn't know, right? I was with biology. I didn't know at the time. Uh, but only later I understood that this was so, so not, not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And, and yeah, so, uh, and he, he was such an educated man and, and he knew so many things. I really learned a lot from him, but this <laughs> was so wrong. Mm-hmm. That was uh, really uh, kind of funny. Yeah, now I can laugh about it. But... Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. sadly, it's you know very a very strong example of gaslighting. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. how do you? How does a wife married to a doctor refute that? Right. Yeah, and not being able to tell him, you know, that that is baloney. What you tell me. Mm-hmm. Right. But Lisa, I wanted also to say what you said about your father. I mean, I think you, as a child, you can sense it. You feel it, that Mm -hmm. something is not right. The parents don't have to say it. You just feel it. Because the approach, how how you are approached by your parents is different. Mm -hmm. For sure. And there is all kind of an obstacle, a wall, how they approach you. And yeah, so... Because they cannot see you how you are. They want something else. Yes. And that makes it so difficult mm-hmm. for children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I described it as being like a like a puppy, you know, jumping up on the leg of someone to get to get their attention. That's kind of what I always did. And so I learned to perform or people please or something to get some little crumb of evidence that I was loved in a way that I would feel loved. You know, he would say the words every time we spoke on the phone, he would end it with, I love you, but it wasn't shown. And I certainly didn't feel loved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. And that is also the intelligence, Mm -hmm. how you survive and, 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 and men, uh, so human beings, we are human beings and we are so intelligent that we always find a way how we survive. Mm -hmm. And, but we put put these traumas, we put them somewhere in our body and people get sick or or whatnot mm-hmm. or have pain, have back pain. And that is, I think, comes from putting those wounds somewhere. Yes. Yeah. Tony's sister, Alicia, is a licensed professional counselor. And she told us about a research article recently that correlates the number of traumatic events to the number of illnesses. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's really interesting, you know. And then there's another book. Let me look that up. Um, it's called The Body Keeps Score. Yeah. 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 This is, um, I, I read that book too. Yeah. It's you can a, pronounce his name. It's a Netherlands from the Netherlands. He uh, has roots from the Netherlands. Yes. With K, he starts with a K. Um, Bessel van der Kolk. Yeah. You can pronounce it more no, beautifully. No, <laughs> The yes. Driver. The body keeps the score. Yeah. But the body keeps the score. Yeah. Totally agree mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. What he says. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, and when you think, and when we look at the world, how the world is, and when I think also about the Ukrainian war, yeah. the history repeats and history repeats because we don't, we always go on. We don't look at our past and we don't heal from all this trauma right but our ancestors didn't do that and we if we don't do it it will never end and the more people are looking into that then then the past can heal 
and we also can heal and the world can heal mm-hmm. but it's a long way but right it sure would help to get some of these crazy dictators out you know and that kind of falls in line with our narcissistic theme that we have woven through our podcast yeah you know these controlling people if the people around them can educate themselves then maybe they can rise up and start their own democracy allowing these dictator type people to run our lives is to our detriment is to our downfall i know it sounds probably simplistic if we put it on the world stage like that but within your own home if people can learn this and escape get mm-hmm. away get away when they're able to get away that can help break the cycle and then upon your escape learn and heal and then build your positive future yeah 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 you know when you were talking about your mother and him gaslighting her and your mom was a phd your mom was not an uneducated person and even if somebody doesn't have a phd i think women are smart and he had to gaslight her to destroy her reality to have her fall in line and something interesting that you had said in your book your father put each person on a pedestal but nobody was ever safe on that pedestal and who he put on the pedestal changed constantly and he treated your mother like she was one of the children but not lovingly and someone that was in need of constant correction and he he never acknowledged when your mother did something right he only criticized her your mother could never win his approval no matter what and the irony to me was she had a PhD. She was an educated person in her own right, but he treated her as she was a small child and a small female child in his Mm -hmm. home. And also how he used triangulation with all of y'all and pit each other against each other. So you could never feel your mother's love from the day you were born. And you could never feel your sister's love because he set it up where any one of you could betray the other person. And it was just such an unstable ground for y'all mm-hmm. living under his roof. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that my, with my, one of my sisters with, a Ger- with Gerda, I had a really close relationship and I could feel, and I still can feel the joy we had together. But yeah, as you said, there was also the mistrust. There was a joy and the mistrust. Not that he consciously did it. I know this is a constant thing that abusers do is they want triangulation within their family because if any kind of cohesiveness occurs, there's a chance for uprising against him. So he's got to constantly keep everybody as enemies with each other in the home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Oh my gosh, you're reading my mind. Oh, yes. Good. You could probably say it better than I'm saying it. (laughs) No, that, that was perfect. And another thing that I would just throw out there is notice the control they still have from the grave. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because they damage relationships from, I mean, it's just, it, it, I'm just so hurt for you and angry for you. And just, I don't know how to say it in uh, intelligent words other than it's just not okay. (laughs) You know, it's just not okay. And, you know, it just reminds me of those planes that you see in farming communities that fly over to spray their insecticide. 
And that's what these abusers are like. It's They don't care if they hit the field next to yours. They're just spraying their abuse wherever. And there's so much damage across generations even. And if we're not careful, right? Because we can repeat that same thing. But just how they pit each other against each other. And then he made those comments to your mother, which then makes her resent you. And oh, gosh, it's mm -hmm. just... It's, yeah. a, it's unstable it's, ground. It yeah, is unstable just... ground. And it's just something that today we would call CPS, you know? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's just terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I mean, um, with my sisters, we were so close, uh, kind of, as I said, right? Um, all we were all so close. And I remember when we were, I was six or six years old. I don't have this in my book, but I remember that we wanted to leave. We wanted to leave the house, right? We wanted to go away. It was so bad. We felt so bad. And then we were hiding in my mother's car at night. <laughs> and then the next day, oh, we had planned, right? We had something to eat there and and had our our blankets and quilts and so everything. And then, um, yeah, unfortunately, my mother found out. And I think she was shocked. So she was not angry. I think she was shocked that we wanted to run away. And But it didn't, I mean, it didn't make things better. But I would say I, I know how close I can be with my sisters. And I think there I feel the love. That's how I know the joy and the love. And it's still in me and it's still in me and it's there. And when I talk to my sisters today, it's still close, but there's this kind of a minefield. And the more I'm grounded and the more I'm healing, the better the relationship gets. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, but but you, have to be, you have to have some courage, right? Mm -hmm. To do that. And my sisters and me... So with, with Gerda in the book, um, I always had a kind of a relationship with her. But with my other sister, um, Elsa, so as I said, we didn't talk after my mother died. We didn't talk to each other. And both my sisters, Gerda and Elsa, they don't, they didn't talk until recently. Wow. And I think I, I don't want to praise myself, but I think I made this possible or I had a part in that because I think I think it is awful if people don't talk to each other anymore, family members. This is kind of such a, so difficult. And I think that comes from trauma when people don't talk to each other anymore. And if children don't talk to each other anymore, when the parents are dead, this is the fault kind of of the parents because they didn't know better. The parents, it's, it's, I think that is the task of the parents to, to make this bond between children strong mm -hmm. and if they fail in that then the relationship breaks and I can see that in many in some families I know where people don't talk to each other anymore and I think that is because they feel something is less in them it's scarcity and so um, yeah jealousy or whatnot I don't know what it is but... mm -hmm. probably a reminder of the past you know yeah. if not everyone is doing their own work and healing mm -hmm. then seeing family members just brings up the old stuff yeah um they can't see past that 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, maybe the old stuff and or they, they think that there's something today, but it goes, I think it always goes back to the past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Some wounds that are not um, healed and yeah. Mm-hmm. And my mother to say that when, when I was 12, and that's why I feel always when I think about my past, I my mother is kind of always absent. My father's very strong, I, very strong there. But my mother, because also because she left when I was, I was 12, I, I don't feel her presence so much. And she said once to me that she wanted to kill herself um, or and that's, or she was depressed. She became very depressed and that's why she left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she didn't tell me. So I didn't know. So from one day to the other, she was, wow. and I was also pretty tough, I would say. But it didn't strike me so much. And that's because I think that this was also because there was not such a big bond between me and her. Mm-hmm. And so the this loss was not so much felt by me. Mm-hmm. Right. Just kind of looking back for a minute, she intentionally tried to keep you isolated and alone. You were on the third floor by yourself and they and your sisters were on the second floor. Why do you think she wanted to keep you isolated? Do you have any kind of notion of... Yes. Yeah, I think she wanted me to become independent, and that was her way of teaching me that. And mm. I think that uh, there was also the jealousy, and she always wanted me to come to her room, and if I was in need, and um, I didn't want to because there was, yeah, I, I felt, felt a little alienated in her presence, um, mm. and I wanted to be with my sister, so that felt more comfortable. There was a jealousy with From her side, yeah. She was jealous of you bonding with anybody else, kind of jealousy. Uh-huh. Yeah, or also, yeah, yeah, that I didn't choose her. Mm. I should choose my sisters over her, mm-hmm. and or over or Aunt Anna when she was there over her. I think that was kind of a jealousy, or maybe also guilt that she saw that I didn't like her so much. Mm-hmm. I, don't mm-hmm. I I don't know, but yeah, but that was pretty harsh. Pretty harsh and. Fight. At such a young age, yeah, to, for you to be alone and you were having nightmares of soldiers coming into your room and you needing consoling and her basically telling you to buck up, get strong. You're a four-year-old. <laughs> you don't have those self-soothing skills and that you found the ability to self-soothe with your animals. And eventually, you know, you had some other people in your life or figures in your head I think that really helped you yeah I came um, so I I thought then on G of Jesus especially mm-hmm. after my father after the stole this chocolate egg I was talking about earlier I I chose Jesus as my savior that he protected me from so and he many was, things he was like your friend too you know and an imaginary friend in a sense but you could read about him and it wasn't something you invented you had been taught about him yeah yeah it was a beautiful friendship you had with him i did yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and yeah that was beautiful but that there came also kind of a grandiosity with that and i think that was also and and when you start to care for your parents you think you are bigger than your parents or great, stronger than your parents. And I think that also comes with a kind of grandiosity. And what what is the word that you're saying? Grandiosity. Grandiosity. Mm-hmm. Grandiosity. Mm-hmm. That I feel better than everyone else. Mm. 
sometimes that can happen. And then I feel so strong and so, so empowered. But on the other hand, that is very on thin ice because when then, when I leave then the scene or these, the situation, I think, oh God, oh, oh God, what, what did I say? And then it starts and then it goes the other way around, right? And then, then I am so, so depressed. I become mm. so depressed because I, I cannot be so empowered, right? I, I have not the permission to do that. And that is, yeah, that can be pretty bad. Mm. Mm feeling. So tell me the reason you chose Freeing Rapunzel as the title of your book. Mm -hmm. So Rapunzel, um, I don't know if you know the fairy tale of Rapunzel. Yes. So she lives in the tower and she has very long hair and I felt like Rapunzel and my my grandma read the story of fairy tale to me and I felt, felt inspired and because I was on the third floor, I felt like being in the tower and no one came isolated like she was. And I also wanted to have long hair and my mother didn't allow me to have long hair. She always wanted me to have short hair. And so I felt a kind of, I just resonated with this fairy tale and that's uh, freeing her means that I had to free myself mm-hmm. and like she had to free herself. And so freeing me, Rapunzel is me. And so, right. so that's why where this title comes from it's a beautiful title and you weave the rapunzel theme beautifully through the entire book and it was a really good choice for a title for your book yeah thank you lisa you have anything i was just going to ask how did you as a human being uh, similar to the character of rapunzel how did you free yourself Mm. i so the first step was that i just left my parents house and I left and I went to a different town. And I think that was the first step. And I never thought that I could do that, but then I could, right? And it was really hard to be on my own and to start to live by myself and to work, get money, right? Earn earn the money and those kind of things. And so this was the first step. And my parents were kind of shocked when I said that I wanted to leave the home. Okay, I was 21 kind of was uh, so it was an okay age I would say but that I left the town that I left uh, Berlin they couldn't understand and I went to Munich which is in the south so it's really five six hours away from Berlin so yeah so I chose that and that was my first step and then um, I went went to therapy (laughs) and started to uh, work on my past were your sisters gone from home when you left? Uh, uh, yeah, they were gone. They were not living. Okay. Um, yeah. I think it's just a miracle that you had the strength to break free and to move so far away. And, you know, although it hurt to be isolated, those skills that you did learn through isolation of caring for yourself and, right, kind of being your own friend really helped, I'm sure. And but also that you sought out therapy. I mean, I'm just so hugging you through Zoom <laughs> that, <laughs> that you that you thought of that and pursued it because that takes a lot of courage and the the willpower and the desire to break free and to heal, you know? And yeah, yeah. so I, I'd love to hear more, you know, more about that too. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think so. I went to therapy and, you know, and that is so difficult with therapy to find the right therapist. Mm -hmm. And I think I saw a lot of therapy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or uh, because I always thought, oh, something is wrong. And, and so then, then it went better. Then something happened. So I was not good. It, it didn't feel good. So I had to see another therapist and so it, all the time. And, and when my son was born, my first son, I had a postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. And this most some postpartum depressions uh, can also be caused by trauma from the past. And I felt when, when my son was born, this was not my son. And there was a kind of exchange happened. So I, yeah, I doubted that it was my son. And I didn't, I was so much, I was so, felt so overwhelmed with the situation that I, I couldn't give him enough space. And so the same thing probably happened with my mother and I did the same. Mm. So this bond between my son at the beginning was not really made. And that is something I have to forgive myself. Mm -hmm. And that is difficult. And I'm much better now um, with forgiving myself for that because I did my, still, I did my best. Every parent does his or her best, mm -hmm. I would say, or most of them. Yeah. And I did my best. I always thought, oh, I make it, may, I will make it better than my parents. I will love my children and whatnot. But then the situation with the postpartum depression, and there was also others, my, my parents had also there struggled with my parents about the name because it was Jewish. I wanted to give them a Jewish name to make ends meet with uh, the Holocaust, our, our German past. Mm -hmm. And my father, he was just, he got so mad uh, when he got this information. He said, I, I couldn't give him this name. And, and so he was really had a little tantrum there. And I, I was still in, in the hospital, right? And so all this stuff came over me. And uh, that was really very difficult. But again, writing this book was so helpful with, with going through that again. It was kind of a therapy. But I think what I'm doing now is really trauma work. I'm, I'm in a training, in a trauma training program. And now I would say I'm really healing from that, that too. And also seeing my son's, um, how would you say that, that they have it also an advantage by me healing. So they also can heal from my, from their uh, growing up with, with, with my, my husband and me. I think I made things also better than my parents did, but, but the beginning was kind of stony. Yeah. Yeah. In your prologue, you introduced a term that I was not familiar with prior to reading your book, traumatic reenactment. You kind of touched on that, but I guess we haven't said that term yet. Mm -hmm. It's a very interesting concept. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so uh, traumatic reenactment is, for example, I was suffering from isolation and I was, and then I, I married a man who was working so much and was also very absent. Like my father was, like my mother was. Mm. And or, um, for example, um, people who are suffering from sexual abuse in their childhood tend to marry someone who also abuses them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's a kind of victimization that happens again. Right. So that is that is traumatic reenactment. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I looked it up in a definition that I got off Google. Victims of trauma are marked by an array of psychiatric symptoms, including chronic stress, intrusive thoughts, nightmares of the event, and hypervigilance. They may also unconsciously repeat the trauma in their day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so I also, um, I, I caught myself waiting for my husband in the evenings, right? And he didn't come home. And, uh, and and that was so difficult for me at the beginning. And now seeing that this was something from my past, right? Waiting, waiting for my parents to come home, waiting for my sisters to come home. And yeah, suffering, suffering from that. But it's so much better now. It, I mean, I think I, I, I did so much progress and in embracing life mm-hmm. because then also with it with so much trauma people also kind of are kind of not living life that's kind of part of them are, are dead because that is what trauma is doing it's a frozen part frozen parts in us say that again frozen parts in us trauma are frozen parts mm-hmm. in us yes and, and if you release the trauma then you get more life mm-hmm Once someone with a traumatic past has gone through therapy or the therapeutic process, what can looking forward look like? What are options for people to move forward? So if you look for a therapist, that's what I mentioned earlier. A lot of therapists didn't go through trauma work. They Mm. didn't go through the trauma. And I I talked to someone who said um, they never learned that during their education. When they became a therapist, they never went through the grief and, and so that they let go. And the interesting part is if you didn't go through this as a therapist, you cannot feel the people. And the people might get it mentally, but not with their body. And to release trauma, you have to release it through your body. And that is such an interesting experience. And maybe you also went through that. The entire body is shaking and and you release the trauma through your arms, through your legs, and it goes into the ground. And then you get more grounded Mm -hmm. and you can expand. Your body can expand and you get more more life. Mm -hmm. Most of the therapists, I bet they didn't do that work. Mm -hmm. And so as a coach, I integrate that in my work a little bit because, I mean, as a coach, you look into the future. But I think you always have to touch a little bit on the past. And I can see the grief in people. I started to see that. And so I can also help people to relieve that. And then if you have relieved your grief and your past or you have did this work, then you also be able to look ahead. And for that, you have to be present. You have to learn to be present and that you can you can do that through meditation mm-hmm. to become more present. Oh, that's and, wonderful. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think that the meditation is key. And then you get more aware of things you haven't seen before. Yeah. Would you say mindfulness is also... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Important. Mindfulness. Yeah. yeah, that is included. Mindfulness, meditation, and and the we, we talk about the three sync. So it's it's the mental, the body, and the emotions, mm-hmm. and that you meet, and that this has to be in line. Ideally, it has to be in line. It has to be one, and if it is one, you can be present. But if there are traumas, the traumas are, as I said, frozen parts in us. And then mm-hmm. you get absent, right? When when we are talking, for example, and then you talk, think about something else. Mm-hmm. So you 
you go out of the situation because something is triggered and goes back in the past. And the key is that you be present and then you can go also ahead. You can think ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of courage to sit in those uncomfortable feelings, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And what we are doing, we try to push the feelings away of fear, of uh, anger, or hurt. And yet to meet these feelings and to deal with that, then it can also go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What have we not asked you that you would like to share? Um, yeah, my, my book touches also on political um, aspects um, during the time when I was doing my upbringing. Yeah, but um, yeah, so mm-hmm. but uh, it's not so. It, it, it was important to, for me because it also shaped my country and had also an influence on me and the collective. So the collective trauma is also something I'm very interested in. Healing from collective trauma. Mm. And like here, the U.S., I think it's also you have kind of a collective trauma you have to can work on and we as a German so every country has a collective trauma in a way yeah I really enjoyed your book very much I know Lisa did as well and it was very powerful and impactful and I learned so much not just about the the trauma in your particular situation but yes as you said the collective trauma and I hadn't really thought of that before and so I just think anybody who reads this will learn so much mm-hmm. should I say something about collective trauma if you yeah we yeah, would love so to collective you, trauma yeah. is that that you uh, or we as a country so like the Germans we as a country we went to trauma all together like with so we were the second world war first world war got lost second world war got lost then this holocaust thing and no one talked about that mm. right so we were not allowed to talk about it so it becomes a secret and but it is also sinks in and gets frozen especially in the post-war era no one talked really about what happened and so that has also to be cleaned up kind of right and people have to talk about it and how they felt and then yeah, so we as a collective have to talk about what happened and can refuel that and then it can sink in and then it cleans up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you yeah. said earlier, if history repeats itself, if we don't learn from the past yeah. and yeah. yeah, it was interesting. I think you were in eighth grade when you went to the Jewish um, museum or the Jewish place. What was that yeah. called? It's a temple. It's a temple. It was the first time you learned about the Holocaust Mm -hmm. and what had happened to 6 million Jews that had been murdered. Yeah. And it was news to you. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And so, uh, yeah. And uh, feeling guilty about what happened, although I was not, I I was not present at the, (laughs) I was not born, right? Mm. But then as a, as a, as a citizen of that country, feeling the responsibility for what has happened and wanting to make it better, right? And to apologize for what had, has happened and to know that it was not right. I think that is very important for me. And uh, yeah, and now after the war fell, we started to talk about this after mm-hmm. 40, 50 years after the Second mm-hmm. World War. That was quite a big deal when the the Berlin Wall came down. Yes. Yeah, it was, yeah. I, I can only imagine, were you, and you weren't in the states then were you over there when that happened no 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 i was in munich i was um <laughs> i was not in berlin but i was in munich and um that was i i cried when when i heard this on <laughs> the radio i cried it was such an 
joy and it was so unbelievable yeah and it was because of the war right mm. that this war was there because of the war and punishment i saw it as a punishment for what what we did but also now healing east and west have to still to heal from what has ha has happened because we we grew up in different systems the communism and the no we don't have capitalism we have we have a social, we have a democracy, but it's not so much capitalism. Is, I don't get the word right now. But so we in the West, we had the opportunity to talk about. Uh, so, so we got educated in the democracy and how important it is. But the Eastern people, uh, part of East, East Germany, was not able to do that. And they always said, oh, the Nazis were somewhere else. That was not in our country, right? Eastern Germany country. So we have to heal, to grow together because it was so different. And it is almost as 90 years, no, 80 years after the war right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think in the U.S. also you have some things to talk about more in what happened in the past. I guess how people came here, right, the, in the 1800s. Yeah. I guess there's also a lot to talk about. Yeah. If people try to remove that ability for us to talk about things, we can't heal. So I agree. I agree. There is much to talk about, and it's really important for everyone to listen mm -hmm. while the other one's talking yeah. on the world stage, as well as just person to person. And I think a lot of times that is a big problem, is that only one side thinks they're allowed to talk, and the other side has to be quiet. And everybody, I think all sides should be allowed to be able to talk as in a family <laughs> you know yeah all right so how can people reach out to you if they want to learn more about your coaching services mm -hmm. yeah i have a, a website it's uh, nlifecoaching.com we will put that link in our show notes and if people want to buy your book where can they find that to purchase mm -hmm. it's on barnes and nobles and google yeah well, I recommend it. It was, like I said, I learned so much and full disclosure, Anne and I are friends. And it was really an interesting thing for me to read about you after having known you for a couple years. And you are so brave and fierce and you move forward. You don't sit in the past. And so it was really illuminating to read about your past because you don't sit in it. You are a very positive person. And yeah, I just appreciate you putting that out there. It had to have taken courage to write that and really put yourself out there like that. So I just want to say thank you for doing that. Thank you for talking to me. Yeah. Thank you, Lisa. Yeah, thank, thank, you, thank you so much for sharing. And I feel tremendous sadness for what you went through, but also a little comfort in knowing we experienced similar things. And we're still able to talk about it today and help people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I, I found on this journey, I found that I care a lot for humanity, mm -hmm. that this is my purpose. And yeah, and it's important what you do, what I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Before we close, this just popped into my mind, but both of your parents are deceased now. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Have you been able to reach a place of forgiveness for them? And if so, how? And if, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are moments where I think I forgave them. And there are moments where I think 
they are still i'm not there yet but um definitely i found also a way to connect with my ancestors and that is for some people it, it uh, comes across a little bit weird that i talk about my ancestors but i know that my ancestors are also involved in my history and mm-hmm. when we come when we are born we come with all our ancestors to own to this world into this world and uh, what they have gone through and and knowing um that I can heal when I'm healing. I heal also my the the past of my ancestors or my ancestors, and that is really beautiful. And for me to know that, and I think we as children or we we tend to protect our parents and what they did and why they did what and so, but to really know that it was wrong what they did, to admit that, that is so still difficult. Mm-hmm. to admit that mm-hmm. and the to have shame, that exposed to have this point at the shame that comes with it yeah and then to say okay so i'm i'm who i am i am and and to to find really myself who i really am because i was always kind of suppressed my my inner me mm-hmm. and uh yeah but i, I i'm getting closer mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, yeah i i think i got con- uh, could get uh, uh, rid of a lot of things already. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's great. Well, we truly thank you for joining us today and discussing your book and your insight and yeah, yeah, your experiences. And we've just really enjoyed connecting with you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Truly, we just really appreciate your generosity and time. And yeah, discussing your your brave story with all of our listeners. Thank you. So Lisa and I will be back next time on Here's Your Red Flag. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, y'all. I flew up to the mirror. Here's Your Red Flag was written, directed, and recorded by Tony and Lisa and edited by Tony. Our theme song is Butterfly Woke by Jairus. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe to our podcast. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate it if you would give us a five-star rating. Thanks, y'all. Butterfly woke, can I die?